right, West Side. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 will be in verses 1 through 15 this morning. When you get there, look up at me and say, He is God. All right. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Because we are thankful to God for His word, you can respond with thanks be to God. Please follow along and have your eyes on Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're glad that you're here as we continue in our series through Ecclesiastes. And just a quick review, um, this is ancient wisdom literature. And we've established that Solomon is the author. And maybe you didn't grow up in church or anything like that, which is awesome. We're glad that you're here. And we're all learning together on this journey. Um, Solomon was King David's son. And Solomon was the wisest outside of Jesus to ever live. Supernatural knowledge. And he had more money, more success, more anything than anybody in Scripture. And we've established that Ecclesiastes is Solomon's sort of letter of repentance. Um, Solomon writes the book of Proverbs, um, which is sort of like if you had Twitter back then, that's sort of like what Solomon, the book of Proverbs is, these short little tweets of wisdom that come out. And then he wrote about love and marriage in Song of Solomon. And Ecclesiastes, he writes at the end of his life, and he looks back upon all the success, all the pleasure, all the accomplishments, all the money, all everything. And he says, is the God factor in life, is it really that important? I mean, is is putting God at the center of everything and everything else revolving around him, is it really that important? And Ecclesiastes is a journey of him saying, okay, I did all of these things and left God out of it. And now I'm old, and now I'm dying. And what I look back upon that season of life as is vanity. That it's brief. That it's almost, in a way, just 
fleeting. And so what's great about Ecclesiastes is, is for us as believers, it reassures the commitment that we have that when God's at the center, everything will play out as it's supposed to. But it's also challenging for some of us who maybe are sort of peeking over the fence at Christianity or we're saying, is this God thing really that important? What Solomon does for you is that he forces your answer. Meaning that when you say, I, I really don't think it's that important, Solomon says, well, have you thought about this? And then we would say, yeah, well, work or pleasure or entertainment. And Solomon goes, oh, okay, you want to go down that road? Well, then I went down that road and here's what's at the end. And so what Ecclesiastes is really forcing us to do is it's forcing us to get to the bottom of the meaning of our life. To really ask the question, what is this all about? And what's funny is, is oftentimes the Bible gets a bad rap um, for being irrelevant, outdated, um, you know, not really important today. But what we've learned is um, Ecclesiastes has really made its way into secular culture. Um, Herman Melville, the, the famous author of the great novel Moby Dick, said, Ecclesiastes is the truest book that has ever been written. And today the verses that were read to you in Ecclesiastes 3 I would venture to say might be in the top five most famous verses ever that anybody understands anywhere. Um, even President John F. Kennedy, these verses, one through eight, were his life-famous verses. And then we can't forget also the birds' fam famous song, right? Turn, 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 where every lyric of the song is essentially verses one through eight, I mean, they don't edit or change or do anything. I mean, they are literally singing the Bible there on the Ed Sullivan show. It's fascinating. And then even John Grisham's famous book, A Time to Kill, um, comes from these verses that we just read. And so it's funny, isn't it? An outdated, irrelevant book, how it sort of still has an impact on today's culture. Whether you like it or not, you've got to deal with that. But there's a profound message that Solomon has today in these verses. And really the familiarity of these verses is dangerous to us. Because Solomon is writing with a point and a meaning behind this. Time and seasons are clearly in the text, right? I mean, do you see that there, right? I, mean, I want you to have your Bible so you know that I'm not making this up. He's talking about time and seasons and all of this, but he's trying to communicate something to us. And maybe as a way of illustration, this will be helpful. Have you ever gone and seen sort of an orchestra before or seen any sort of big band type of music? There's, there's always in the center of high orchestra music the conductor, right, who's sort of there putting everything together. Um, let, let's even take it a step further. Um, you know, our, our worship team. Are you guys thankful for our worship team here on Sunday mornings? Yeah, man, absolutely. Love those guys. Have you ever wondered, like, how do they know when to come in? Like, they all start at the same time, right? I mean, some of us couldn't keep on rhythm if there was a gun to our head. I mean, like, how do they come in all sort of at the same time? And then you sort of see sometimes, like, are they listening to iTunes music on those headphones or something? What's going on? Well, I'm going to give away sort of a little bit of a secret. And, and I learned this, too, because I thought it was like magic that they were able to do this and come in together. Um, what they're listening to in, in the music world is, is known as a backing track, okay? And uh, 
This is what it sounds like. You can go ahead and play that. Intro. Two, three, Intro. Four. And there's an established rhythm that's taking place. And if you listen, there's a voice that comes in and like the chorus is coming up. So listen. Verse two. Verse. So what that is, is a backing track. So when they are listening to that in their ears, they know when a chorus is coming. They know when a verse is coming. But now, listen, you didn't know that, right? You didn't hear that. You couldn't see that. But there was something controlling everything that's taking place. Ecclesiastes 3. When Solomon speaks of times and seasons, here's the thesis today. God is the conductor who orchestrates time. That's what Solomon is trying to teach us and tell us. Though you might not see it and you might not hear it, And just from the outside looking in, things might seem like chaos. And is there any order to this or understanding to this? What Solomon is saying is there is a tempo, that there is a rhythm, that there is a cadence behind all of that. And God is the conductor who has set all of this in place. And so as some principles, what we'll see today in the text is this, the reason, the rhythm then the reality, and then our response to this. So the first thing is this, the reason. Why? Why are there seasons? Why is there time? Why is there all of this? And verse 1 really sets the thesis for the whole text. Look at it. In Ecclesiastes 3.1, For everything there is a seasoned and time for every matter under heaven. Now, the word season there, if, if you have your ESV scripture journal or, or your Bible, I want you to circle the word season, okay? Do you see how we're getting to use the scripture journal in church? That's, oh, okay, I thought that would be a little bit more excited. Okay, all right. Um, I want you to write in the margin of your Bible or in your scripture journal, after you circle the word season, appointed time. That's literally what that word means. So it's not just season like fall, spring, winter, summer. It's literally an appointed time is what that word means. Solomon is is narrowing down on on a deep theological concept. And and, and it's carried out through all the rest of Scripture. Um, Even the Apostle Paul would agree with Solomon. And in Acts 17, he says these words, The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. The theological idea is this word called sovereignty, which means control. And what Solomon is telling us is that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and that we should find security in God's sovereignty. Now, there's a lot of questions behind this, and, and we're sort of in some deep waters here. And, and the great argument against all of that is, well, what does man's responsibility and God's sovereignty, those are in conflict against each other. So what we have to do is, we either have to make man completely responsible 
meaning that choice and all of that is 100% man's this, that, and the other. And will is everything. There's a little problem with that. Um, Like, um, why don't you will yourself to be 10 feet tall right now? Any takers? Will yourself to fly. Or how about this? Hey, parents, will your kids to obey? Oh, yeah, good laughter on that one, right? Oh, okay, so now we realize that, that our will's a little bit smaller than what we thought. The other problem on the other side of the road and the ditch that's there is that God is this benevolent dictator. That it's sort of like a kid with a magnifying glass burning ants on a hill because he's in control and we are robots. I love Charles Haddon Spurgeon's response to this when somebody says, Dear Spurgeon, how do you reconcile man's responsibility and God's sovereignty? And he said, there is no need to reconcile friends. The meaning is, is that these are not opposed to each other. But rather, somehow in a great mystery, these things are working together. For example, the seasons. Isn't it interesting how the seasons tell a story with the Christian calendar? Like for us in the West, when does Advent come? Christmas. When does it come? In the darkest season. And what do we believe? That God is light. And so in the darkest season and cold of winter, we believe that the light overpowers the darkness. And then spring, just when you think everything is dead and winter and this, that, and the other, the flowers and the trees start to bloom. And for us in the West, the resurrection and Easter So do you see that the seasons tell a story? That there is something to the seasons much deeper even than what we realize. But also what Solomon is telling us about the seasons and the God who orchestrates them is this. Um, Can you control the weather? Like I.e. today for a great example, right? Um, No. So what makes you think you can control the God that controls the weather? That was one of the things that was so scary about Jesus with the disciples. Remember when the storm arose on the sea? There's a statement in Mark's gospel when they cry out in the boat, Who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? You see, it's this idea that there's a reason why time is constructed the way that it is and the seasons fall and even your life. And the reason why is because there's a God who is orchestrating this. And it shows us just how small we really are. Solomon looks back on his life and he says, there were seasons in my life where I actually thought I was in control of everything. And the reality is the only thing that you can control is how you respond to the seasons of life. So the reason behind this is that God is sovereign and that we can find security in that. What's the security? I say this all the time. Did you know that God has never said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh? Think about it. He's never been in heaven like, wait a second. I had no idea that was happening in Bill's life. Holy Spirit, Jesus, did you guys see this? I had no idea this was going on, right? And for some of us, we have, we have deep questions. 
about loss, about suffering. And I'll say something to you that a lot of preachers don't say. I don't know. I don't know about the cancer. I don't know about the car wreck. I don't know. And I'm not going to give you a hallmark answer. But one thing I do know, and if I didn't have this, if I didn't have a rock that I would fall back on when everything else turned to sand, is that for reasons that I can't understand or see, but just like the backing track, I know that something is backing this up. And just because I don't know doesn't mean that God doesn't have a reason. And it's the sovereignty of God that is the blanket of security for us in a broken world. That's the reason. But there's also a rhythm in the text. This is, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the most heavy poetry that we will come across. We talked about the book of Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. So the Bible is not one novel. The Bible is 66 books, 44 different authors, three different languages, four different continents. It's more like a library that you have in your hand. And there's genres of scripture, the Psalms and Proverbs and this, that being wisdom and poetry, the Gospels being biographies of Jesus. Solomon breaks into, for whatever reason, and I think there is a reason, that he wants to explain God's sovereignty and time and seasons in a poetic form. And there's this beautiful rhythm behind it. Notice, there's not chaos behind it. There's a rhythm. And I'm thankful to Dr. David Jeremiah how how he breaks down this section of three main rhythms that really control everything. He says, first off, there's a, there's a rhythm in our physical life, which is verses 1 through 3. A time to be born, a time to die, all of those things. That, that you are a, a physical body and there's a rhythm to that. And then the second section is a rhythm in our emotional life. Did you see that there is a time to weep? There's a time to laugh. There's a time to dance. There's a time appointed for these things. And then lastly, that there's a rhythm in our spiritual life as well. When it talks about to seek and to love and to do all of those, that really when you break those down, here's what I love about this, that you are mind, body, and soul. That if you separate any of those, that then you are not fully human. And and where do we draw our theology from on this other than the incarnation? That God became man. That, That Jesus wept. There were times where he was angry. There were times where he laughed. There was all of those things that Jesus shows us this. And this is something that we've been in in the life of our church. We, we just came out of the Abide series where we said that there should be rhythms rather than trying to have this section of my life work, then the social aspect of my life, then church, and then Bible reading, and then prayer. And then if you try to do that, you will live exhausted, exhausted. There's always something to check off the list. You can never catch up on the Bible reading plan. You're in Leviticus. That's not going well, right? You got to do all of this. And then the kids got sick. And then, But rather, God doesn't want to be a part of your life, but he wants to be the heart of it. Your heart is the control center that sets the rhythm. And there's a rhythm to this. And really, it comes down to this, 
that you either have a cadence to your life or you live in chaos in your life. Those are really the only choices that you have. So rather than trying to make Jesus and and community and serving and church a part of your life to fit into your schedule, what would it look like if if Jesus was, was the center of it? He was the cadence. He was the backing track that set to your finances, to your relationship. And then everything else revolved around that cadence and that rhythm other than trying to place your family at the center and find that cadence or work at the center and find that cadence because that beat will speed up very quickly. And so Solomon's saying there's a reason behind this. And also know that there's a rhythm that our God is not a God of chaos, of just whatever happens, happens, but rather that he is a God of order behind this. But then he drops in again with the reality on us. And oh, Solomon, it's 2019, and we like Instagram inspirational quotes. That's what we like. We like a verse of the day. Oh, we love that. And then we post it, and then that was my devotional time, and oh, that's great. But then he drops in, and what is the very first thing that he teaches us in the rhythm in verse 2? A time to be born And a time to die. Verse 12, to do good as long as they live. Do you know, this is how my mind works, okay? I don't know if it's a gift or a curse, all right? And so when I read this this week, I imagined that Solomon was haunted almost by the ticking of a clock. And then I thought, Solomon's a lot like Captain Hook, Remember in Peter Pan, the tick-tock croc? Now, there's a lot philosophically going on in Peter Pan. Peter Pan sort of lives forever, and he's there in Neverland, but him and Captain Hook are always at war because Captain Hook is old, and, and he ages. And the crocodile took his hand, but also has the clock. But every time he hears the ticking of the clock, he also realizes that he's not Peter Pan, And that death is essentially coming for him. And no matter what chapter we're in, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon always drops in and says, Hey, um, don't forget, you're going to die. Have a great day, okay? Do everything, turn, turn. You're going to die. Turn, to right? Why? Why is he teaching us this? I ran across this in study. Um, there was a doctor by the name of Doc, uh, Dr. Leslie Weatherhead. And what this doctor did is he calculated the average age of a human life, which is about 79 years of age. And then through math, he calculated that one 24-hour day equals one life. So at 12.01 a.m., you have been born And then through mathematics, as the clock ticks, it determines how old you are. It is a huge reality check. Listen to this. If you were 15 years old, the time is already 1025 a.m. At 1134, you were 20 years of age. At 1242, you were 25. 
At 1.51 in the afternoon, you are 30. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you are 35. At 4.08, you are 40 years of age. At 5.15, you've just gotten off work and you are now 45 years old. At 6.25 p.m., you're 50. At 7.24 p.m., you are 55 years of age. The time is 8.42 p.m., and you're 60 years old. At 9.51 at night, you are 65. And at 11 o'clock p.m., you are 70 years of age. It changes things, doesn't it? When you look at it like that, all of a sudden it's like what you thought could, could never go away and what was so stable turns to, to sand, if you will. Actually, the psalmist teaches us and cries out to God and says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Why is it wise to know how limited you are and to know how limited of time that you have? Because Solomon is teaching us this and asking a question. If our time is limited, then how are you using it? All of a sudden, the fight and the argument doesn't seem that important anymore. And the job and the to-do list. When we look back like Solomon on our life and think, look at the time that I gave to this. And, and it's crazy because we're learning to live our life in reverse. And so what Solomon is constantly forcing us to do with the reality is there is an end game to your life. That you have a birth date and you have a death date. And when you look back upon your life, and when you realize and think, man, this is limited. What's really important in the end? Solomon wants you to take that, and then he wants you to live your life in reverse. Meaning, if you were on your deathbed, what would be on your mind? The laundry? Your kid's sports schedule? Really? The traveling team? The Cardinals' win-loss record? Or would it be the conversation and the phone call that you wish you would have called your dad? Or the I'm sorry instead of the I told you so? And what Solomon is begging and beseeching us to do is live in light of that now. Live in light of that now because it's driving to a point and it's going somewhere. These seasons and times in our life, they are not random. There's a rhythm to them. And God is the orchestrator who puts this all together. But then lastly, we have to ask, what is our response to this? And this is where I want to get very, very practical to us. Because it can be dangerous. Um, Ecclesiastes is very philosophical. And so the last thing we need to do is sit down and go, I mean, what is God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? I mean, do we have free will? Did I choose God or did God choose me, right? But yet you're a poor husband or poor wife. I'm not so down on those arguments, okay? 
because we use theological arguments to distract us from real reality. It's not a hobby. It's our life. So what's the response to that? We learned last week. All right, I'm going to see if you remember this equation. Those of you who remember it will go to heaven. All right, okay? <laughs> Information minus application equals what? Like four people are going to heaven. Awesome. Information minus application equals foolishness. Okay? doesn't matter what you know. Right? That's important. Well, what's more important is what you're doing with what you know. Information plus application, that equals wisdom. So what is our response to God being the conductor of time and orchestrating all of this together? The first thing is this. You need to know what season you are in in life. Okay? And here's what I mean by that. Um, Some of us are are first-time parents. Some of us are going to be having a child soon. Some of us don't have any kids. Some of us are close to retiring. Some of us are close to starting our career. Some of us are dating and might get married. Some of us have been married. Listen, you need to know what season of life you're in because then that is going to determine how you live. And so listen, just breathe a sigh of relief. Like with new babies on the way and toddlers and diapers and this, that, and the other, it's probably going to limit the amount of service that you can serve sort of within church life. That's okay, all right? But then some of us actually have more time on our hands in this season, which then determines our involvement in the local community. Here's what we need to do. We need to learn, um, I think uh, the great theologian Kenny Rogers has something for us right now, okay? Because you've got to know when to, and you got to know when to, you got to learn when to walk away, and then sometimes learn when to run, okay? And you never count your money when you're sitting at the table, right? What's he saying? No. Knowing where you are in life is massively important, but also this. Please listen to me. Many of us use church terms to excuse us in the realm of disobedience, meaning well, I'm just in a season of life. Really? I feel like you've been in that season of life for like three years, okay? Right? It's summer and you're wearing a parka, all right? Wrong season. So listen, understanding your season is massively important. Seasons have a beginning and then they have an end. For some of us, we are going to be entering into a season where it's going to limit our involvement. For some of you, you've entered into this community and all you've done is consume. You are a grown adult wearing a bib. And it's time to remove the bib and put on the apron of serving. Know what season you're in. Seasons have a beginning and seasons have an end. But then the second thing is this. Trust God's timing. Look at verse 11. He has made everything beautiful. Is that the rest of the verse? Nope. If you had your Bible in your hand, you would know that. We don't put the verses on the screens because I want you to have your Bible in your hand. God forbid you come to church and use your Bible, right? He's made everything beautiful in It's time. Some of you, your marriage, some of you, your kids, some of you, your relationship right now, it ain't pretty. 
And don't turn to your spouse and say that, okay, right, right now, okay? It's not pretty right now. In its time. And the greatest failure that I see is the rejection button, and they hit the eject button out of this relationship and out of this commitment and out of this and out of that because that's not pretty right now. It's not pretty right now because it's not time. It's not time. And listen, a lot of us are not like my nanny, okay? My nanny doesn't use a timer in the oven because she's sovereign on whatever she's cooking. She just knows. Nanny, is it time to get the biscuits out? Nope. Nanny, you haven't looked at the biscuits in an hour. It ain't time, right? You're not like that. We have to constantly refer to God's word in prayer, in community, and in wisdom, and in work. And God forbid we get our hands dirty and our knees get callous because we're praying and we're trusting and we're saying this. I am creation. You are creator. You are the conductor who has orchestrated all of this. And I bow out in this season. I am not sovereign. I am not in control. So I will wait upon the Lord. I will wait upon the Lord. I don't know about you, but some of the greatest valleys in my life has had nothing to do with God. It's had everything to do with me being an idiot. Because God was saying, Jason, I had this for you. This was here. This was coming. All you needed to do was wait. Exodus 14, 14. All you need to do is be silent and your God will fight for you. Some of the greatest wisdom many of you can have is to shut your mouth and trust God. And listen, waiting is not wasting. When we're waiting, God has promised to work. So we have to know what season we're in. We have to trust God's timing. And then this, redeem the time that you have now. Now. Oh my goodness. No more Eeyores, okay? Right? If, if you're new to Westside, um, we have a term for certain groups of people, right? How you doing, Eeyore? Well, okay, I guess. Really, how are things going? Something else came up again, right? Eeyore's never happy because Eeyore lives in the rut of regret. And many of us wear shackles of regret. Listen to me. The mistakes that you've made in the past and that I've made in the past, guess what? We made them. We made them and we were dumb. (laughs) And look up here. Don't miss this. There's nothing you can do about that. You made that, but what you can do now is move forward. His mercies are new. Every day the sun rises. Every day the sun rises. You have a blank sheet of paper in front of you. For those who are in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. He does not remember those anymore, for he has cast them away as far as the east is from the west. Redeem the time you have now. Stop looking in the rearview mirror and start looking through the windshield of what God has for you. 
Redeem the time now. Yes, you should have been involved. Yes, you should have done this. Yes, you should have gone there. Okay, own the responsibility. Confess whatever sins need to be repented of and live in the light of grace. Grace. Redeem the time you have now. And then lastly this, rest in the fact that Jesus never changes. Never. Jesus never changes. For the writer of Hebrews would say this, he, Jesus, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why is that important? Because then when we come to the scriptures and we see the woman caught in the act of adultery and everybody is waiting to stone her and they're holding the law up over her head, but Jesus comes along and says, ye without sin cast the first stone. And then he turns to her and he says, where are your condemners? I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. When we see Jesus interacting with people like that and then we cross-reference it with that verse, it tells me this, that Jesus, that that Jesus that showed that woman that grace, that love, that mercy, that forgiveness, it's the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus for you today. The same Jesus that Peter denied three times and wept, but Jesus comes to that Peter and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep and restores him back to relationship. It's the same Jesus. Some of us think that the Jesus in the Bible is not the Jesus that we serve today, and that is a damnation from hell. That's a lie. Because if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then the same grace and the same mercy and the same love and the same compassion that we see is available for you and I today. So as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, what is your response today? For some of you, it's to clarify what season am I in? Because once I know where I'm at, then I can determine where I'm going. And then for a lot of you, and for me It's trust God's timing. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not. Um, God doesn't need your help. You know, like with your spouse or with your kids or with your job, right? What he needs you to do is he needs you to trust him. He needs you to trust him. But at the same time, What do we need to do to redeem our time? Listen, oh man, for some of us, when God told Moses, Moses, though your hair is still gray, I have much for you. I have much for you. I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, how long you've been coming to this church. No, you have not put in your time and now it's somebody else's time. Wrong. Redeem the time you have now as a gift. What if I told you that today's all you've got? You don't have tomorrow. This is it. How would you live right now? What would you do? Redeem the time. And then for all of us, it is to sit back and to see the God of Genesis 1 that in the beginning 
when God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was dark and formless and void and the spirit of God hovered over the waters and then Yahweh said, let there be light and there was light and then God said and it was and he said and it was, that is the same God we worship today. So I don't know what you came in with today, but know this, it doesn't depend on you that God is in control. And in light of that, what Solomon says, he's done that so we would bow and fear before him and say, who is this God that even the wind and the seas obey him? Heavenly Father, we come before you today and Holy Spirit, do what only you can do for only you can bring conviction. For only you can bring comfort. For only you, Holy Spirit, can even bring about a conversion from death to life. Have your way in this place. And as we come and approach the table and see the body that is broken and the blood that was shed, may we know that that mercy and that grace is available every day. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.